All right. So last week we began talking about humility, about humility. And we started talking about it in connection with the unit that we just finished. We just finished talking about the fear of the Lord. And we ended that series talking about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. So now we're going to take it up a notch and we're going to talk about the benefits of the fear of the Lord and the benefits of humility when they are put together. We used as our foundation scripture, Proverbs 22 verse four in the amplified version, just the plain amplified, not the amplified classic. And if you're okay, I can just go ahead and read it. Yes. Okay. It says, the reward of humility, that is having a realistic view of one's importance and the reverent worshipful fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. So the benefit of humility and the fear of the Lord together is riches, honor, and life. That's our end game. That's what we're going to get to. But on our way there, we're going to talk about humility and what it is. I used the scripture in the Amplified Version because it defines humility right here in the scripture. It defines humility as having a realistic view of one's importance. Okay? When we have a realistic view of our importance, this is having a realistic view of our importance, one, in the sight of God, and two, in comparison to God. When we see ourselves realistically as God sees us, which is in the sight of God, and when we see ourselves realistically in comparison to God, how great thou art, right? Then we are walking in the truth of who we are. Amen. Amen. Last week, I gave this definition that came out of one of my favorite um, devotionals, devotional planners, and um, it, it, it gave this little blurb about humility. It says, humility is not effacing oneself. It is not destroying one's sense of self-worth. Rather, it is honest recognition of our own worth, our worth as God sees us. Pride elevates us above others and often above God himself. But to destroy one's sense of self-worth is also unacceptable, for it denies the value God placed on us when he created us in his image and when he sent his son to die for us. Christ did not die for worms, but for people he loves very much. And those people have great worth and value in God's eyes. To see ourselves as God sees us, that's our goal. So that is one definition that we are using for humility, to see ourselves as God sees us, having a realistic view of our importance in the sight of God. 
And last week we looked at, um, we looked at uh, demonstrations of how Jesus, we looked at scriptures that demonstrated how Jesus walked out this humility. We looked at John chapter eight in the Amplified Classic. So if you will turn there with me, please. John chapter eight in the Amplified Classic. We'll start by reading verses 14 through 18. So when you're ready, um, you can read, okay? But let me just give a little background. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And he had just, um, <laughs> he had just um, told them, he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And the Pharisees said, wait a minute, you're bearing record of yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not legitimate because you are testifying of yourself. But now Jesus speaks in his boldness and his authority and demonstrates his humility by saying that he is who he is because he knows who he is. So let's look at verses 14 through 18, and I might stop you along the way, okay? Okay. Jesus answered, even if I do testify on my own behalf, my testimony is true and reliable and valid, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You set yourselves up to judge according to the flesh by what you see. You condemn by external human standards. I do not set myself up to judge or condemn or sentence anyone. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. My decision is right, for I am not alone in making it, but there are two of us, I and the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony evidence of two persons is reliable and valid. I am one of the two bearing testimony concerning myself and my Father who sent me. He also testifies about me. Okay. Then they okay. said to him. Okay. Verse 18. Thank you. Okay. And so I know it was getting juicy, though. Um, but yeah, so this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he was speaking boldly. And he could do this. He said, my testimony and my judgment are right. The reason he could say this is because he knew where he came from and where he was going. We saw that in verse 14. He knew who sent him. We saw that in verses 16 and 18. And he knew who... Oops, we didn't read this part yet. But he also knew who was with him. Jump down to verse 28. And you can read that scripture. Um, we're going to read verses 28 and 29 in the Amplified. So platform. Jesus added, so Jesus added, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, you will realize, know, understand, that I am he for whom you look and that I do nothing of myself of my own accord or on my own authority, 
but I say exactly what my father has taught me. Keep going. And he who sent me is ever with me. My father has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Okay, so here we see in verse 29 that he knew who was with him. He had a realistic view of his importance in the sight of God, his father. Amen? Amen. All right. And so the second definition or the second aspect of humility that we talked about is having a realistic view of our importance in comparison with God. We know that God is God and we are not. And we looked at Jesus, his example in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. I shouldn't have said that about Jesus. For us, we know that God is God, we are not, and that we must humble ourselves before him. Put it that way. We must humble ourselves before him. And we'll talk about what it means to humble ourselves. But first, let's look at an example of how Jesus humbled himself. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Okay, could I say something? Yes, please. What you said, you know, that God is God and we are not. Yes. That's the crux of the problem of humility. Okay, talk about that. Well, um, ego, edging God out. When yes. we take God out, we are projecting ourselves as if we're God and we are rising above what we think God is because we are not, you know, the truth is we're not, but we have lost that view and we are acting as if we are. And that gets, I don't know about anyone else, anyone else but that gets me in trouble. Uh, I agree. It gets me in trouble too. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure I'll refer to that many times, many times, because you hit the nail on the head with that. All right. We're going to look at Jesus's example in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yes. He humbled himself. Who humbled him? He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And that is something that we have to do. We have to humble ourselves, or at least we're supposed to humble ourselves. This is not something where we pray, oh God, please humble me. Oh, God, please humble me. As a matter of fact, we really don't want God to humble us because that is not pretty. It does not feel good. It's so much better when we do it willingly. It's so much better when we do it of our own accord. It's a desire. It's a heart's desire because it's, as you just said, Shalom, that ego is edging God out. And God is not going to force us not to edge him out. It has to be our decision not to edge him out, and we must behave accordingly. 
This is not something, oh God, you know my heart, or oh God, you know it wasn't my intention. Mm -mm. Humbling ourselves is something that we must do ourselves. And we'll look at that more um, in the definition. As a matter of fact, um, the definition for this word, humble, in Philippians 2.8, it means to show humility or true lowliness. And this true lowliness happens by being fully dependent upon the Lord. It comes by dismissing reliance upon ourselves and our self-government. This exalts, oh, I have to stop right there. It comes by dismissing ourselves and our self-government. I have been discipling people um, and I've experienced where the Lord would have me to bring a word of correction to this person. And they would say, well, that's just the way I am. God knows how I am. Okay, if that's how you want to play it. God does know who you are, how you are, and that's why he brought this word of correction. But if you choose to stay the way you are instead of humbling yourself, if you continue to operate on your ego and edge God out, then you're going to experience um, the humbling that comes by God's hand. And at that point, it's not humility, it's humiliation. Okay, so um, this definition of humbled in Philippians 2.8, to show humility, true lowliness, this happens by bullying, being fully dependent on the Lord, by dismissing reliance upon self and self-government. And when we do this, it exalts the Lord as our all in all, and it prompts the gift of his fullness in us. So it exalts the Lord as our all in all and gets our ego out of the way. All right. So how do we do this? How do we um, dismiss ourselves and our self-government? How do we get rid of this ego? We talked about it last week. We willingly submit. And that word submit means to give oneself over to the power or authority of another to yield oneself over to the power and authority of another. And for the sake of this study, we're just going to say that the authority is God. And God is the acknowledged source of information and truth. That's what authority is. Authority is an accepted source of information, advice, etc. But for the purpose of this study, we're going to say that authority refers to God's authority, and he is the acknowledged source of information and truth, okay? Um, we talked about that word to yield. To yield is to surrender or to give oneself up to, we're going to say God's influence, to give ourselves up to God's course of action, God's course of direction. We must submit ourselves. And again, it's something that we have to do. We have to do it of our own volition. So now let's go and let's look at Jesus's invitation. All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30 in the Amplified Classic. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 11. And when you have it, you may read it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 in the Amplified Classic. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve, refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Amen. Amen. So now this is Jesus speaking. Now we've looked at Jesus as the example of humility, both when he was, um, hello, Tamara, hello, Deborah. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to back up one quick step um, to tell you real quick that we're continuing to talk about the definition of humility and the way we've defined it, or actually the way the Bible defined it in Proverbs 22, four, in the amplified version was having a realistic view of one's importance. And so tonight we're talking about humility as having a realistic view of one's importance in the sight of God and having a realistic view of one's importance in comparison to God. So we looked at Jesus last week, how he was talking to the Pharisees, standing up for himself, saying, my testimony is right, my judgment is right, because I know where I came from, I know where I'm going, I know who sent me, and I know who is with me. So he was, he was speaking out of an awareness and out of a revelation of his importance in, in, in the sight of God. And so we're looking at him as um, an example of humility in Philippians 2.8, where it says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So with Jesus as our example, now he's the one giving us the invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. Verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And then he tells us about himself. He says, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart. So here he is saying, look, I am humble. Now this word humble, it means to be totally dependent on God. It means being God-reliant rather than self-reliant. So Shalom, when you were talking earlier about, okay, you know, we got to do something with this ego. E e I'm thinking about Lego, my ego. Ego, edging God out. Well, that even means edging God out of taking care of us, edging God out 
of providing for us, edging God out of leading us and guiding us, edging God out of instructing us, edging God out of correcting us. When we are humble, then that means we are being God-reliant rather than self-reliant. It is, um, when you study that word out, it'll take you to a, another definition that's related to it. But it, it exemplifies an inside-out virtue produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than to others. Lots of times when we think about being humble and um, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, we, we, think, of a, we think of it in context to other people. But when we're talking about this humility that we're talking about, this humility that Jesus is talking about, where he says, I am humble, I am lowly in heart, this is when he compares himself to the Lord. He compares himself to God and not to others. When we compare ourselves to God, then we see just how lowly we are. Not how unworthy we are but how lowly we are. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? We, when we compare ourselves to God, ooh, 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 then we see that, and see all of this is tied into acknowledging God as God, acknowledging the authority of God. And as I said earlier, knowing that he is God and we are not, and when we are in this humbled position where we compare ourselves to him, then this brings us, I love this, this brings our behavior into alignment with this inner revelation that he's God, we're not. It brings our behavior into alignment with this revelation to keep us from becoming self-exalting, self-determining, and self-inflating or self-inflated. In other words, it edges us out and it exalts God. I'm gonna take a break just real quick to bring in our prayer assignment for the body of Christ. As the Dominion Task Force, we wanted to take dominion over COVID-19 and God showed us the spiritual snipers that we had to get the right target. And the right target is the pride, the pandemic of pride within the body of Christ. And we know that pride is the opposite of humility. We're talking about being humbled right now where we compare ourselves to God and it's an inner virtue and it causes us to align with the revelation that he's so much bigger than we are, so much more powerful than we are. He's God. And it keeps us from exalting ourselves. It keeps us from being self-determining, determining to do it our way. It keeps us from being self-inflated, consumed with our own thoughts, our own needs, and, and, and our own way of putting band-aids on situations when God can fix it just like that. But that's what happened and was um, majorly exposed to us as we began to take dominion 
over COVID-19. It's the spiritual pandemic of pride that God has had us to target, where the body at large has says, okay, I know God is saying do this, but I'm going to do it this way. Okay, I know I'm supposed to trust God, but I'm looking at this situation. I'm looking at, you know, my family. I'm looking at my bank account. I'm looking at my business. I'm looking at this, and I need to do something. And what happened is it caused us to get out, and I say us, meaning the body of Christ at large, to get out from under that sanctification umbrella. That sanctification umbrella that separated us from the effects of COVID, from the effects of the curse, and separated us to God. But when we choose to do it our way, we step out from under that umbrella. Now we're experiencing those things that the curse and the effects of the curse the same way the world is, and we don't look any different. So our light isn't shining. We're not seasoning the earth, you know, the salt of the earth, and, and the world sees no reason to look at the body and say, hey, I want what you've got. That's, that's how our prayer assignment started. And I believe that things have changed because we have been interceding and we've been seeing changes um, in the body of Christ. And, and I have been seeing it come through um, or manifestation of it through other broadcasts on television and even in the news and, and things that have happening. So the situation isn't the same as it was, but this is the way it was in the beginning. And this is why we're still praying. But one of the things, one of our prayer targets was that the body of Christ be infused with the spirit of humility. And like I said, in the last month or so, the Lord has had me to add such that it brings about the necessary obedience. We just saw in Philippians 2.8 that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We need to humble ourselves and become obedient unto death, even the death of our own egos. Anybody have anything to say before I move on? All right. So now we're going to look at uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 again. But this time, we're going to look at it in the message translation. If you have it, you can pull it up. If not, let me see if I can pull it up real quick, and then I can share my screen. All right, so it's the highlighted portion at the bottom. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the, unforth learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In this um, passage, he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Religion represents performance. If I do good, I'll get good. If I pray for hours and hours and hours, or if I, you know, it's, it's based on performance and self-effort. Jesus came 
so that we wouldn't, there is no self-effort. There's nothing that we can do. He came to introduce us to relationship. So when he says, are you burned out on religion? Are you burned out on trying to do it yourself? Come to me, get away with me. I'll show you how. And he's the one who is humble and lowly in heart. So with that in mind, let's go back to John chapter 8, where we were last week. And we're going to look at verses 23 and 24 in the Amplified Classic. This is an example of what happens when people choose not to forget, to submit, excuse me. This is an example of what happens when people choose not to submit. All right. John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24 in the Amplified Classic. Jesus speaking. 23. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, of this earthly order, and I am not of this world. That is why I told you that you will die in, under the curse of your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, whom I claim to be, if you do not adhere to, trust in, and rely on me, you will die in your sins. Okay. So Jesus is saying, look, and you know, he's constantly making that differentiation. I am from above, you are from beneath. Just an aside, remember when we studied John 17, he was praying to God and he was talking about us. He said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So we are with Jesus. We are not of this world. But here he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, you are from below. I am from above. Okay. You're from this world, this earthly order. I am not of this world. So he was speaking of his sanctification even then. And even that is a part of his identity. Then he says, that's why I told you that you will die under the curse of your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, whom I claim to be, if you do not adhere to, trust in, and rely on me, you will die in your sins. Now, okay, Holy Spirit's changing some things around. Let's talk about that word believe. The more I study, the, lo the more the Lord is showing me that that word believe, people are like, how do you believe? You believe in your heart. How do you believe and get to that point of being fully persuaded? How do you believe? The Lord has been showing me more and more that when we believe, we simply surrender to that thing that we're believing. If God said I can do it, I surrender to that, Lord. I bring myself under that. I submit myself to your authority in that. You say I can do it, I can do it. He's been showing me that to believe means to surrender. And so he's saying to them, if you do not believe that I am he whom I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Now let's talk about that word sins. This is, we all know that sin means to miss the mark. All right. And it does, but check it out. When I, when I looked it up, something jumped out at me. It says it's forfeiture because of missing the mark. When we miss the mark and we choose to continue to miss the mark 
by not believing or surrendering or giving ourselves over to the one in authority, who is God, who is Jesus, and giving ourselves over to his word, giving ourselves over to his truth, then we forfeit eternal life by missing, because of missing the mark, continually missing the mark. And the reason we continually miss the mark is because we're not putting any stock in what he's saying. Therefore, we're not doing what he's saying. This word sins, it also means the brand of sin that emphasizes its self-originated, self-empowered nature. In other words, it is not originated or empowered by God. In other words, it's due to a lack of humility, a lack of submitting ourselves to God. Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, if you don't surrender to what I'm telling you, you don't just take it as truth, then you're going to die in your sins. That word die, it stresses the significance of the separation that always comes with, get this, divine closure. Something tells me that when something is divinely closed, is closed. That tells me there are no more chances after that. So this word die, it stresses the significance of the separation that always comes with divine closure. You know, like being eternally separated from God. It stresses the ending of what is former. And in this um, situation, we're talking about the former behavior, the former behavior of unbelief, the former behavior of, of missing the mark. Death stresses or dying stresses the ending of that behavior of missing the mark due to unbelief. To bring what naturally follows. And what naturally follows is separation, separation from God. So when we look at that phrase, you will die in your sins. When I take the definitions that I got in the, in the, in the Greek, it means you will die off. Your behavior of missing the mark due to your unbelief will come to an end. Separation from God will naturally follow. Your unbelief has come to a divine closure. There will be a divine closure to your existence on earth in your perpetual state of missing the mark. You will have forfeited eternal life, which is knowing God. The natural progression is eternal separation from God. This is what it is to die in our sins or to die in one sins. And Jesus said that this death would occur when people don't believe 
that he is who he says he is. Who is he? Well, yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he's the savior of the world. But Paul explained to us how to benefit from the savior of the world. Confess him as Lord. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Inherent in lordship is obeying him, submitting to him walking in humility before him, humbling yourself before him. We, if we read on in chapter eight um, of, of the Gospel of John here, we'll see how there were people who believed and then Jesus spoke to him. I'm jumping down to verse 31 and I'll just read it out of the King James Version because after he said this, after he said, you know, if you don't believe in me, you'll die in your sins. And then, um, you know, you lift the son of man up and you'll know that I'm he and um, the father sent me and all this, all this stuff. It's in verse 30, it says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. They did, they believed, but that wasn't enough because he said, if you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then we'll see how they did not submit because in verse 32, 33, they said, we be Abraham's seed. And if we were never and were never in bondage to any man, how sayest thou, ye shall be made free. And Jesus continued to answer them. But then they refused to listen. And so they still didn't enter in because they didn't surrender to what he was saying. Remember last week we were talking about the difference between um, compliance and, and willing obedience. When we, when, when we comply, there's not necessarily a change. There's not necessarily a change on the inside. There's no change of mind. There's no change of purpose. There's no change of direction. We think that we can come into the teacher's class with our own revelation and it's okay. No, it's not okay. You go into the teacher's class so the teacher can give you revelation. If you're holding on to your own revelation, then you're not going to be able to receive what teacher's trying to give you. And it's the same way. We can't come into the kingdom of God. We can't come into God's government and continue to operate under self-government. It does not work. This is why humility is necessary. Amen. Amen. Okay, amen. All right. Well, I'm going to pause right there um, because that's as far as I feel the Lord is leading me right now. <laughs>